Everyone knows the way you compete is through customer experience, but no one's really bringing it together in this like cohesive, holistic view of how do you then accomplish this for the consumer? Because at the end of the day, that's who you're trying to make happy. growth a willow tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by billy lowen and me billy fisher whether you're an industry expert or just getting started there's plenty of room to grow share this episode with your favorite coworker. follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts and reach out if you'd like to join the show you ready billy i'm ready billy let's go let's grow Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Room for Growth. I am Billy Lowen. I'm your solo host today. Billy Fisher is on a six-day adventure with no cell phone, doing a bit of a spiritual retreat. So everybody send good vibes to Billy Fisher. Uh, we're excited to hear about how that goes when he gets back. Um, I want to start by just telling you that I just had one of the most delightful user experiences across email and then uh, a product checkout experience. And we have talked about the need for this experience for so long that I just want to acknowledge how awesome it was to see it in market. So I got an email from Spotify this afternoon, letting me know that an artist for whom I'm in like top percentage of listenership for them was offering a special deal where tickets to their concert were on sale now. And I was invited to take a unique code that was sent to me in this email go to SeatGeek and buy tickets before they went to pre-sale. So I actually ended up just getting like some of the best general admission pit tickets to a very name brand, like big performer. The concert is in a year, so I have to wait. But at totally reasonable prices because of this Spotify experience, uh, we have talked about how great this experience would be. So I assume, you know, somewhere Spotify and SeatGeek were certainly listening to Room for Growth and just took a leaf out of our recommendation book to do this. Um, but so fun to see that experience come live and be exactly what I hoped it would be as a fan. Um, awesome job, Spotify. Awesome job, Seat Geek, at creating this very fan-centric experience that was super well executed. It was easy. Everything was deep linked properly. Uh, I'm just, you know, sitting here feeling even more loyal to both of your brands. Uh, today, we have a killer guest. Tony Ferrer just joined Willow Tree, but he is a seasoned Adobe professional. He joined Willow Tree to lead our MarTech consulting practice and sort of our master of all architects for multi-systems that go into creating the Adobe experience. So he's an expert in a lot of the legacy Adobe platforms that are still very present in big businesses today, but he's also an expert in what we're calling sort of like the next wave of maturity for all Adobe users. So that's Adobe's real-time CDP. Adobe Journey Optimizer, Adobe Analytics, and then we might even talk a little Marketo today. Welcome, Tony Ferreira. We are very excited to have you at Willow Tree. We are very excited to have you on the podcast today, talking all things how to create delightful user experiences, customer experiences in the Adobe platform, and starting to shed some light on how to make business impact through sort of this behemoth of a of a tech giant that can sometimes be misunderstood. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here and to be at Willow Tree. Yeah, so good to have you. But talk to us before we dive in a little bit of your professional journey. You have a good name for yourself in the Adobe space as a sort of certified expert, both by way of actual certifications, but just the accolades you get for helping 
make impact in this space as a consultant, as a practitioner, as somebody who's very expert level across many different platforms and an expert in the platforms at scale, which is what Adobe is really well known for. How did you get here? Talk to us about your professional life a bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny when you think back about it, right? Because I actually started out as a uh, freshman health teacher at a private high school, um, teaching all health topics to you know ninth and tenth graders, which tests your patience pretty quick. But at the same time, I was doing some uh, marketing consulting and sort of learning the world. And in doing that, I was like, man, this is a really interesting field that I think I can excel. So I just kind of nested that way. And I sort of gravitated through, you know, the different marketing lens and fields of things around email, paid media, content. I mean, you name it. Moved into data and analytics, um, doing insights, data engineering, data warehouses, things like that. Quickly moved into the technology world around, you know, web development, web engineering, uh, systems integrations. I then got into e-commerce, digital product. I've also done and led a few UX teams. So I've sort of been around the gamut of all things digital. Um, and what came with that was just different technologies across different science companies, different ecosystems, um, being a team of one. So you have to do a lot, learn a lot. And it just kind of helped me upskill real quickly on the tools and technologies. Um, and then back in 2014-ish is when I started to get just locked in on Adobe. And I've kind of been in that world across different organizations ever since. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your general philosophy around technology. I know that in addition to being an Adobe expert, you also have a robust understanding of the MarTech landscape more broadly. Some of the best in class players that we talk about on this show frequently, like the phrases and segments and amplitudes that have come to market really to compete with Adobe. Adobe being an older technology has to grapple with the fact that they've existed as a MarTech provider since the advent of the cell phone, since pre, you know, modern data consolidation practices and automation capabilities. Um, so talk to us just a little bit about how you think about recommending MarTech to a client more generally. If you were leading a small, mid-sized or large business today, how would you make the choice about what platforms you might use given the use cases and how they vary across different size organizations? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, right? And a lot of the same question a lot of companies are sort of asking themselves especially now with the need to focus on spend and um, reducing, you know, how many platforms you have and all of that. The way that I've always approached it with different companies is there's, there's a few pieces that fit into this, right? And it's one, how much can you afford, right? Accurately, like not overspending to just get something, but like what can you really spend today and then scale up as you grow? Um, another piece is capabilities. Right. So the people on the team that are going to start using the platforms, can they actually use them? A lot of times you see this like shiny object syndrome that happens with companies where they're like, oh, I just heard about this platform over here. So we got to go buy it. And then nobody can use it. So it's really trying to align to the capabilities of the people on the team and what they can do because you can train, but there's only so much training that can actually get you to utilize a platform. And then the last piece is really the integration with your other systems, so the whole ecosystem. If you have startup tools, they're not going to integrate well with enterprise platforms. 
right? It makes it really difficult. So making sure that you're connecting the right types of systems to whatever else exists in the ecosystem. And the last thing I always tell people is beware of free. People always want to go with free, but there's so many limitations and issues that come with it. Um, I just, if you're a real business and you want to scale up, try to stay away from the free platforms. Yeah, something you said really resonated. I think IT leaders versus CMOs tend to be different in one very important way when they're making tech choices. IT leaders tend to understand that when you invest in a platform, it's not going to be as simple and easy as a sales team is promising you. And the cost of maintaining and growing that platform is going to be spread across the lifespan that you have with them. Whereas I think CMOs tend to come in and make a decision and think, let's get this tool, let's just use it, let's adopt it. Not understanding that when you are making that initial investment, you have to think about the upfront costs of standing it up. You have to think about the change management costs of training your entire team into how to use it. And then every single year, you have to keep investing and growing the capabilities of it if you want to be realistic about the value that you're going to derive from that platform. I think that conversation is especially true when we talk about Adobe because the Adobe investment and the decision to go with Adobe as your all-in-one suite of technology capabilities is a big decision. When do you typically recommend Adobe? When is it right for a business? It really depends on what they're trying to do, right? Because in what you're seeing in the marketplace, like Adobe is an enterprise platform, right? So it's built for these, these large companies to come in and do really complex things with a lot of data and everything else. Some of the older platforms have started to come down a bit to where some medium-sized and you know, aspiring enterprises, we can call them, um, start using it to do more things with. But I think it's really at the point where they say, we've had this tool, we are doing X with it, but we are limited to these capabilities. Like we want to grow and scale. The tool doesn't allow it. We don't know what to go to next. We want to upgrade and improve the customer experience. Where should we go? Um, and I always just ask them, have you looked at Adobe? Right? Because Adobe has the money to spend on their products. They improve it all the time. They listen to the people using their systems. Um, and they just have an ecosystem, which a lot of other platforms don't. So I think a lot of the times when I hear people say, oh, we've exhausted everything in our system. We need to grow by X amount. We're trying to get to however many millions of dollars every year. That's when I say, okay, well, let's at least put Adobe on the radar for a tool evaluation to see if it makes sense against some of the other systems that you're looking at. Yeah, 100%. I think those are some of the great selling points of Adobe that we typically see. I think while some of the best-in-class providers might say that they're ready for the type of scale that Adobe takes on, Adobe is a behemoth. Everything from their services or to how they develop their product footprint, they're not going to be the fastest, but they're one of the only platforms in market that can handle the scale of data and level of organizational complexity that's sometimes needed. Of course, they're also a suite. So again, I think best-in-class providers would say, hey, put us in a test against Adobe and we'll outperform them. And the answer to that is like, well, maybe, but at what at what cost? Like maybe you could, but the joy and pain of being a suite of products means that Adobe doesn't integrate super well with things outside of its ecosystem. There's starting to be more integrations that make sense as there's more ubiquitous platforms 
Um, but also you are in it. Like your messaging platform will be Adobe, your analytics platform will be Adobe, the way you manage your data will be Adobe. And that has some cost benefits to it when you are at a certain size. But talk to me a little bit more, Tony, about some of the pain points, but also some of the positives you hear from clients working in Adobe. What are some of the common themes that you're working through? Yeah. So like you said, yeah, Adobe is a behemoth. And if you look at like the Gartner Magic Quadrant for digital experience platforms, they have been the only ones since 2019 that have increased up that level. Other platforms have sort of fallen off or decreased. So they've sort of built this place for them, right? But in building that place, they've also created some complexities where it requires specialization, right? There's specialized knowledge in the Adobe platforms that don't really replicate from the other ones. Like you can't really go from Google Analytics to Adobe Analytics easily. It takes learning and figuring things out and, and the same with all the other platforms. So one of the things you hear a lot about is like, we're coming from this really simple UI. We can't figure out Adobe. We just don't get it. It's really complex, really crazy. The UI, everything's everywhere. Um, implementation sometimes can be tricky. Right. Cause just the way the setup is and how you do things is very specific in the Adobe world. But at that same time, the reason it's specific is because it's really, really powerful. So when you do things correctly, you, there's a lot more you can do. I mean, if you look at the current ecosystem, right, it's, it's a data lake, which now a lot of people have built. And then on top of that are all these capabilities for customer, customer experience management, right? So it's like, you can usually go out and buy a data lake and then you can go buy another platform to do stuff. And now Adobe came in and said, no, let's put it all together. So I think even with the challenges that people experience right away, once they get it and they implement it and they do it or someone does it for them, they're like, oh my God, look how powerful this tool is. Like now I get why I spent all this money and all these things I can do in the future state. I'm super excited. So I think it's like, a, it's a give or take kind of like all other platforms, right? And I think really one of the things that leads to that, which is traditional on other platforms too, is just when it's being sold, yeah. you know, the expectations of what the tool can do isn't really what matches to when companies start to try to implement it. Yeah. And I mean, then frankly, add AEM to the mix, which is Adobe Experience Manager, which is sort of the web framework platform. Again, very complicated, but good at creating robust experiences especially for brands at scale that might have to think about things like content modularization across many, many, many sites and pages, or how are they going to globalize or how are they going to be able to update all of the frameworks that they're using across their web infrastructure in a meaningful way. You know, then you add Adobe Experience Manager into the mix and Adobe is solving a massive chunk of the digital experience, the data management experience, and ultimately what customers feel as that uh, conversational touchpoint way of gathering information from a brand in a way that's pretty holistic. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole customer experience management piece of this is that part that like everyone is trying to figure out right now, right? Like everyone knows the way you compete is through customer experience, but people don't know how you go about actually making that happen. You know, everybody has a piece of it. Like you've got the data team, the marketing team, the product team, the engineering team that all own pieces of that puzzle, but no one's really bringing it together in this like 
cohesive, holistic view of how do you then accomplish this for the consumer? Because at the end of the day, that's who you're trying to make happy, right? Like someone's happy in engineering or marketing, it doesn't improve your revenue. But if the consumer is happy based on what just happened, like what you talked about when we started, right? Like you're a happy consumer because of what you experienced. Everybody's after that right now, but everybody, they're, they're trying to do it in siloed ways. Tony, one of the first things that you and I sort of like bantered about and connected on is how different it is to implement Adobe than it might be for a best-in-class stack. So typically, the best practice for a new piece of technology, say you get a CDP, and then you're going to also launch an engagement platform, not side-by-side, but in fairly rapid iteration. Generally, the mindset would be, how do you take a very large chunk of your current business? Say you're a large financial institution. Maybe you want to take an entire business unit and you want to move data into CDP, adopt the CDP to maximize its capabilities for a slice of the business as fast as possible. Be pretty thorough in how you think about how to get from point A to point Z for that slice and then do the same thing in like your messaging platform. So you want to, I guess, think about like, let's go from zero to a hundred as quickly as we can. And there might be slices of that cake or that pizza, whatever is, you know, the least offensive um, sliced food today. But you basically want to go from nothing to utilizing the whole thing in the fastest path possible. That is very different in the Adobe stack, at least from your perspective, that oftentimes you bring a methodology that really breaks that kind of like best practice of how to think about how to manage customer data and how to think about building out journeys of messaging. Talk just a little bit about what you bring to clients when you're working in Adobe that that challenges that challenges that methodology. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at these enterprise platforms, right? Like if you're trying to go from even like zero to 60 in those platforms, it can get really overwhelming really quickly. Right. So it's, it's the, you know, people talk about data paralysis and it's kind of the same thing where everybody gets a CDP and the first thing you want to do is dump every piece of data in there. And then they say, okay, now go figure out what we should do. And, and people go down rabbit holes and don't know where to look. So the way that I like to approach it is what are the business cases that we think are going to have the biggest impact right away in these platforms? And then let's reverse engineer it back from that to say, what is a smaller piece of data? that goes into the system and sort of makes its way up the funnel so that you can start to learn how to use the platforms without getting overwhelmed, right? And everybody then is aligned to the same goal at the same time and everybody's moving in the same direction. I think that's the the piece that really makes people successful in Adobe is when they can piece it out and say, okay, we're all moving in the same path. We all know the direction we're going into so we don't get there we understand we failed and we can find the spot where we failed versus I threw everything in and every department is going to go use it now in every which way. Something failed. Who failed? And it's like, I don't know. And then you spend all this time trying to figure it out. So it's yeah. how can you sort of slice out a piece of it so that people can get used to what the systems do, get some quick wins. And then as those things are going and working, you take the next two use cases and you do the same thing. And eventually you've got 50 UK use cases running and everybody knows the platform and people scaled up and it's just, it's working better than just like, we spent this money, get ROI tomorrow. Yeah. Just to spell that out a little bit further, because I always like to make sure on this podcast, we're not just speaking in like mumbo jumbo, but typically if I were going to a client who say they had segment or M particle or blue conic or, you know, a best in class CDP, 
And they were saying, how do we maximize the power of our CDP? I would generally say, hey, let's start with stuff that just has an out-of-the-box integration. Usually that's like social media um, and potentially an engagement platform. Those things are relatively easy to connect. But then I'd say, let's start with, you know, what's your largest source of data? Maybe that's your web front end. Uh, that might be your data lake. So you might need a custom API built and then to like retag your website. But we do that fairly thoroughly. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to go to your CDP, but it is sort of like, let's start with your web or your app. Let's do your tagging through your CDP, get as much of that data as you're going to need for the strategy that you have for your channel messaging or the end outcome or however it's going to be leveraged. So it's not as if there's no strategy there, but it tends to be like, start with one and then build that custom API and then bring in this other source and do it fairly holistically for a big group of use cases that have been established upfront as part of your strategy. What you're saying in Adobe is take three or four use cases, but then only take the data from uh, maybe one out of the box source of data, one that has to be more custom, another one that has to be more custom, one that's maybe a little easier, but you're only gonna bring in a data point and do all of that incremental work, but make the use case functional mm -hmm. and then move to the next use case. That's really different. I mean, it doesn't seem different on the surface, but very different. What is the benefit of doing it that way in Adobe? Like, why is Adobe unique where that becomes the best practice? You know, it's, it's unique in the fact that it's size, right? When you're talking about a use case, you're talking about terabytes of data from multiple sources of databases that exist today that maybe don't sync up in the eternal, you know, the current business, but has to in the Adobe platform. So there's actually a lot more work that goes into the creation of these new systems to be able to benefit them later. So by taking that single chunk, what you're doing is you're building the foundation and the structure in the right way towards that vision, but it's all based on a business goal. So you know that like, you know, for instance, um, a company's churn rate went up by 5% and it's their onboarding series. That's a great one to reverse engineer and say, let's get customer data in and everything else in. Let's figure out this use case. Let's improve that. And then when that's running and personalized and now your churn rate is back to 2%, it's going to continue to go that way personalized. So when you move on to the next use case, you don't need to go back to that one. So it's just constantly running. Everything's all set up. So everything's good in that world at that point. And then you can move on to the next one. And you make these incremental increases to your business rather than, you know, multiple use case setup, something doesn't work right, but you're trying to do too much too soon, especially in these enterprise platforms. It's just an easier way to get value out of the platform, but also an impact to the business. Yeah, I think especially in Adobe, one of the things that uh, clients of those platforms need to be mindful of is cost. It is no surprise that Adobe is extremely expensive. They're not trying to compete on cost with other platforms, which is why this development method is so important because cost can come from multiple directions. One, just like what's the upfront cost that you invest to have licenses to these platforms? And then how much of the feature set and capabilities of those platforms are you using? But that's like a sunk cost anyway. You have to pay it upfront. But often these platforms sit fairly idle no matter who you are. Like it's very difficult to use 100% of the capabilities regardless. 
But then in Adobe, the other big difference is because you're talking about data at massive scale, you can't just sort of like open the floodgates of one source or destination and let it all flow. You have to be really thoughtful about letting in just a little bit at a time where it's worth, sorry, worth the cost where, you know, the third cost is generally what's the implementation cost that has to go into creating all of the pipelines to hook things together, where generally the mindset is like, hook one thing in, pay for that cost, and then, you know, get that one off your plate, then do the next one. But Adobe, you have to approach it differently, where it's like the incremental cost of engineering a source and a destination of data for just a few data points. It's important, actually, to limit it so that you're not paying to just like, host loads and loads of data. I think that's a big, it can be a big brain shift because data is this intangible thing, but at scale becomes a really different beast. Um, Talk to us a little bit about where you have seen some of the hairiest projects in terms of complexity. What do they typically look like? uh, So I've I've seen a lot. Um, In my past, I'm always sort of the person who was hired to like come in after Adobe has exploded somewhere and sort of reconfigure it. Um, I think that the biggest ones I've seen is, you know, large organizations with legacy systems from just too many years ago that have just been sort of built on top of and band-aided over time. They want to now bring into the Adobe system. And it's like, how do you even do that? No one knows how it works. You know, you have to like, the guy who built it 15 years ago has left. And there's like a tiny piece of content somewhere in some other system that says how it was built. Um, So it just creates this complexity of, you know, do you create cost in throwing that system out and just redoing everything in Adobe? Do you look at bringing it over? So like, there's a lot of challenges there. I think the other biggest challenge, honestly, is Adobe is such a cross-functional platform that you always have to play nicely with other teams. And that is not the way enterprises work, right? There's like tension between marketing and IT or data or product or whoever else that sort of have to play in this world. So in order to get the best utilization out of Adobe, there's a lot of cross-functionality communication and things like that that have to happen that create some challenges for businesses because you know marketing can't speak to engineering. Engineering can't speak to data. No one's speaking to the business team. Um, and that's really where I've seen some of those big ones. So, I mean, one of the ones I can think of was, um, you know, there was a company that was trying to integrate on-prem systems from 1942. <laughs> no joke. Into a cloud version of the Adobe stack. That data was built in such a weird, convoluted way back then that it was like, no way, shape, or form could it just be transferred over, right? So there's a lot of in-between that had to happen. And then on top of that, one team owned that platform, a separate team owned Adobe, a separate team owned something else. So I was trying to get the collaboration and the consensus of how things were to be done. I've been like, I've been fortunate, unfortunate, honestly, to be the person in the middle of all those teams fighting, to have to be like, okay, guys, here's what everybody needs. Here's how we do it, which is fun and very stressful. Um, So today, Tony, we are doing all kinds of different work at Willow Tree for our clients across different tools, platforms, and sort of types of project. We're working in content and commerce in Adobe. We're doing data insights and personalization. 
We're doing a lot of customer experience enablement and workflow management. Um, talk to me about some of the other biggest trends that you are seeing in terms of project types, things like just modernizing within the platform or the jobs to be done that we're handling most frequently that you can kind of, I think for everybody who's working on these problems, they just like to hear like, oh yeah, I have that problem too. Everyone's dealing with that thing right now. There's two sides to it, right? There's, there's sort of the marketing piece and the technology piece. As much as marketing is owning the technology, it's still somewhat separated at the moment. But you have things like personalization at scale, right? Um, omni-channel consistency, the ability to adapt to customer needs or, or anticipate their needs, which is like new with digital. And then on the technical side, right? It's around the infrastructure. So it's it's how do we how do they make those things happen with what they have today? And what we're hearing a lot of is, you know, I have whatever tool set, and this is my ecosystem. Here's Adobe. Where does it fit? What comes over from the other platforms? What other systems can we get rid of and remove licensing to save costs? Um, so there's just like this, this back and forth around really that enablement piece of like, where does the tech fit in that we, we just bought it? We don't want to sit on the shelf just doing nothing. How do we get it into our ecosystem? How do we leverage it, the data? But then after all that's done, someone has to do something on it, right? Because I always tell people, nobody buys a CDP to store data, right? Like that's not what it's there for. It's to enable something somewhere else. Yeah. So it's how do you then take those other things and then do the personalization at scale and create the consistency and adapt to customer needs those are really the big things that we're hearing right now that I think the other pieces that will stem on to that next year is like, then where does AI fit? You know, where does all this other stuff come in? Like, it's just a lot of questions that people can't answer because they're being asked to do a lot, but they still have to do all the normal marketing stuff too. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to like leave the AI piece off the table at, for the moment because while Adobe has some products that they say are doing AI, I think at the moment we could have a pretty robust debate about where Adobe sits in terms of the maturity for AI capabilities. And probably at the end of that long conversation, agree that they're lagging a bit in market. And, and maybe that's appropriate because we're in such a space of technological innovation that the platforms that are coming out today are going to be absolutely surpassed by something that's better in a year and two years and three years. So it'll be really interesting to see how the advent of MarTech uh, changes the landscape here. But I think one project set that we could say is certainly common is right now for many of our clients, they are looking at Adobe Real-Time CDP and looking to modernize into leveraging that platform. And then not just Adobe, Adobe Campaign certainly isn't sunsetting, but Adobe Journey Optimizer is taking the main stage as the automation and engagement platform of choice in a really big way. Um, I'm curious what other trends you're seeing, because I know we're seeing a lot of companies also trying to think about how to better integrate Workfront, which is a project management tool, to better integrate with sort of their um, asset management system, their web systems, their creative suites often also in Adobe, and then their campaign development processes and execution. Um, what else is going on? What else are you seeing as trends? And what other predictions would you make for the Adobe product set over the next year? 
So a couple other things. I mean, so today you have Adobe Audience Manager, and then you also have Adobe Experience Platform, kind of doing the same thing. So the big questions are, of the legacy clients of Adobe Audience Manager, how is that then going to shift more, right? And sort of replace what's happening. Um, Adobe Target is another one people are sort of questioning, right? Of like, hey, we're using it for personalization. We're doing some offer management in there. But some of that's shifting to Journey Optimizer. So figuring out where Adobe Target plays in the ecosystem versus where Journey Optimizer does is another sort of question that people are trying to think about and figure out, you know, because a lot of people who are moving to these newer Adobe stack came from the Adobe Analytics, Adobe Target world. So they still have that and they're saying, how do we move over? And that's another good one too, is Adobe Analytics to customer journey analytics, right? Which one should we use? Why? Um, and then the last piece that I honestly just got information on yesterday is the whole SMS capabilities of Journey Optimizer. Mm-hmm. Adobe is partnered with a company called Sync to provide those capabilities for Journey Optimizer. But if I'm a betting man, I don't like to do a lot, but if I was, I would say that in at least the next five years, you'd probably see Sync get pulled into Adobe and Journey Optimizer having some SMS capabilities. Yeah, 100%. Something that we consider gospel around here is the fact that if you have omni-channel campaigns, you can't control and perfectly sync what you're putting out on, say, social media against Google. But owned channels should all sit in one platform because consumers don't see these channels as this channel, this channel, this channel, this channel. They don't see push, email, SMS, in-app message, in-app content screens as these separate conversations. They see it all as one brand experience. So those channels have to work together and be responsive to what a consumer's needs are. If a consumer is opening a push and then they don't respond to it or they do respond to it, as a brand, you should have a really different response to that. Maybe you send a follow-up push because you know that channel is the channel they prefer. Maybe you send an email because that channel didn't work the first time or they dropped out an abandoned cart midway through and you need to like bring them back in. And so when you are missing a whole very important channel like SMS from your engagement suite, it can be really limiting and really Mm -hmm. painful. So I think that would be a a super positive product development for the Adobe suite. Definitely. So Tony, for brands that are successful, though, in some of the migration projects to these new platforms, AJO, Adobe Real-Time CDP, Adobe Journey Optimizer, what are the benefits that you're seeing? What are some of the customer experiences that are standing out in market? Yeah, you know, when you look at some of the other platforms that are, we can say competing with Adobe, but we know that's really kind of on different scales. But what the limitations are of those platforms are really this this stitching of data, right? And the ability to stitch it together. And that's really what Adobe Experience Platform is sort of the, the value of that ecosystem is this fragmented data concept, right? Where like all their platforms have pieces of data about you that sometimes can be put together, sometimes can't. The Adobe ecosystem is using AI in a sense to sort of stitch that data into a profile for each consumer and then using those profiles to do marketing against. And that's the critical piece to this is once you have a profile for say myself and you know all the things I do and like and everything else, when you take that into a tool like um, Journey Optimizer, you can create 
any kind of journey you want to personalize for me, to offset things for me. But I think where people forget is you can also use that orchestration tool to offset some of the costs of your other systems. So a good example is you send out an in-app and SMS to everybody for some use case. Using an orchestration tool, you could actually now start with in-app. And for people who don't engage with that, then send those people SMS, which actually cuts your SMS bandwidth potentially in half, right? Which cuts your costs in half. So people have only looked at these tools as like content orchestration tools, but they forget when you build your journeys and you use the data for profiles, you can actually set up conditions that can cut costs in other channels because you don't need to hit everybody everywhere. I don't need an email, an in-app, and an SMS all at once just because you want to overload me as a customer. Like, pick the right platform, let me choose what I want, offset the cost of the others, and then save those that data point. So the next time you want to reach out to me, you know that maybe I only look at email. Just send me email. Definitely. You know, leave me alone on the other channels. What other reasons, uh, Tony, if you were putting out, you know, your phone number today to say, hey, CMO, hey, CTO, if you are experiencing these things in Adobe, this is a pretty clear trigger for you to give me a phone call and I will help you work through it. Um, what are some of the others? Uh, well, actually, one I heard today is, you know, we bought it. We tried to implement it ourselves. We got to rip and replace it. Right, the data is not working for us. Something needs to change. We have to delete everything. Yeah, like, or we hit a roadblock. We made it to a point and like puzzle us confused over the nomenclature of the words that we need to get right here. But like we don't know how to get through this barrier. Yeah, it's it's a clear sign that says the strategy that you started with was not a strategy. You need a bigger one to help set up the foundation of the system because that can help you scale. So that's sort of like the biggest one we're hearing right now. And then the other one that I know a lot of CMOs are getting hit with is reduce your spend in technology, but improve your ROI at the same time. Yeah. How do you do that? Because every platform you have in your, your stack has a purpose, right? So how do you cut and where do you cut and how do you bring in these new capabilities at the same time to increase ROI? It's another question I'm hearing a lot in the marketplace that just they can't answer. Well, I think frankly, too, we talk a lot about our sympathies for the modern CMO. The modern CMO has to be extremely technical, very data savvy, um, great at creative, excellent at putting campaigns to market and understanding the customer journey um, and being very intuitive with who their buyer is with a pressure set that's unlike ever before to create expansive expertise across many disciplines. And one of the reasons that we get called a lot is CMOs are saying, hey, I think I have a vision here, but I might even need help with my vision. I certainly need a strategy on how to bring three, six, 12 very disparate divisions of this company together around what we're doing and have a roadmap for where to start. I mean, that's a super common use case for us and a big reason to pick up the phone. For sure. Totally. Well, Tony, I ask every guest on this podcast the same question. So you, you know, cannot leave unscathed, of course. We are at Willow Tree all about creating experiences that are so delightful, so unique that 
users, customers, brand loyalists, fans, whatever you want to call them, stick with that brand and develop true loyalty to it. So my question for you is what brands are you truly loyal to and why? One of them um, is actually REI. Um, Been a fan of them forever. Selfishly did some work for them a long time ago. So I knew how things sort of worked under the hood a little bit. But just the way that they approach how they help you both digitally, but also in the store has always been a unique thing for me. Like the cross digital to physical has always been like that piece everybody's trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. And they just did it through actual customer service, right? They were like, let's just be helpful both in digital and in person and not just like nag people and like kind of like stalk them in the store, but like they, they, and they live what they sell. Right. I mean, that's a huge thing too. So I'm, I'm very loyal to them, which is uncommon for me because my wife will tell you I'm kind of cheap, but I'll spend money there. Um, and then outside of that, you know, which is very odd for me to say, but like, I'm a, I'm a Ford guy. Mm-hmm. And it just had stemmed from when I was a kid and just kind of lived up to me. Um, they have a really cool app for their new trucks that allows you to do different things and start it from your house or I can lock it from California here in, you know, Durham, North Carolina. Um, so I just, those things I stay loyal to because just the, what they sort of set themselves as as a brand kind of fit with me as well. I love that. And then the new question we're going to start asking guests that isn't totally appropriate for you, but I'll adjust it a little bit. We're going to start asking all of our business leaders, if you had a genie who could solve three problems that you're facing in your work life today, what would those three problems be? But I think I'll ask you this, Tony, from the perspective of if you could have a genie solve three problems for your clients every time you're walking into these really hairy situations that you... Uh, kind of get like SWAT teamed into and just sort of like, you know, they bring in the helicopter and the black ops and they just drop you in the <laughs> middle of like a data war zone. Uh, what would be your three wishes for clients? Um, thinking from their point of view too, you know, it'd probably be um, make technology cost nothing, <laughs> right? Um, the next would be, you know, make customers just, love us forever and never leave us. Um, and, I, and I think the last one would probably be around, um, you know, making that cross-functional piece of things much easier, right? Because I, I just, I know from being on that side of the fence, mm-hmm. that is a big component to why things don't get done, get pushed, get fought about. Um, it creates a lot of stress for people. Totally. Uh, Tony, where can people find you if they are looking for you online? They're looking for your thought leadership. They're trying to connect with you. LinkedIn. I, I'm not, I'm not a Twitter guy. Not, I don't do anything. I don't exist on Facebook other than like I have a profile and my wife posts stuff that t- I'm tagged in. Other than that, I don't exist, but LinkedIn I'm on pretty heavily. I do um, some posting and then even our willetry blog, I'm trying to do some more thought leadership there and connect with people with whatever needs they have. Cool. Well, we will link some of the latest and greatest from you in the notes of this show so that our listeners can find it. 
Otherwise, thank you for being here. I have a feeling we will have you on again and you'll become a common voice here. Uh, but really great to get some of your perspective on what is typically some of the biggest and most challenging spaces in MarTech today. So great to have you, Tony, and have uh, a great rest of the week to our listeners. We are recording on a Thursday, so let's move as fast as we can to 24 hours from now. We'll see if we can teleport to a Friday real quick. And I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. <laughs>